We're in a series called Grace and Truth. I'm going to ask you to grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Would you stand with me today if you're in the auditorium? We'll read a few verses of Scripture and then I'll share. Uh, I can tell you we, we have probably a few more weeks in this series. We've talked a, a, a lot about grace and a lot about compassion and being kind and kind of that, that soft edge, if you will. We're going to also be talking in these next few weeks about the firm center of being committed to truth and what does that look like in the balance of grace and truth together? How do we navigate conversations maybe even within some of our circles of life? John chapter 8, uh, beginning in verse 2, at dawn he, Jesus, appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, or Master, actually, this woman, that this word means, which you can see in the groups of Pharisees, they didn't really mean this, but they used that terminology in getting his attention. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, and the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Father, we thank you for your word. I ask that in these few moments together that, that I would make much of you. And I ask, O oh Lord, that, uh, that we would have ears to hear what you would say to us through these moments together. We pray our, our, uh, our, our friends who are serving, O oh God, in all sorts of places all over the world, that you'd be with them today and continue to encourage and keep them as well, provide for them in every way. Thank you, Lord, that we get, a par- get to be a part of EPAG and we get to be a part of your work locally and around the world. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. As I said, we're in a series called Grace and Truth. And in John chapter 1, verse 14, somewhat of an overarching scripture for us, the Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Not one or the other, not unbalanced in one direction or the other, full of grace and truth. And the question for us in this series is how do we live like Jesus in our world today. How do we live as people full of grace, love, compassion, kindness, and truth? Jesus, His Word, and His ways. We've referenced this idea of living with soft edges and a firm center. Soft edges meaning the kindness that we show in our interactions with other people. We're taught in Scripture to be gracious, to be compassionate, We're even taught in Scripture that our conversation be seasoned with salt. The idea of how we speak creating a thirst for Christ. How we speak helping to bring betterment to the world and culture around us. Firm center has to do with commitment to truth. 
We believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. We believe in His ways, and we believe in His Word, the Bible that we have. Truth without grace, we said early on in this series, truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. So soft edges and a soft center gives us this idea that grace is just a license to live however we choose. Truth is relative. No truth can also automatically apply to anyone else. There's no absolute truth. So no one can ever speak to anyone else about what is right or wrong. Firm center with also having hard or firm edges means that we can come off mean. We can be passionate about truth and the things of God, but to a point that our attitude actually comes off hateful towards sinners, towards people, the very people that Jesus loves and died for. So the goal for us is, how can we embrace with grace that leads to truth? We want to be people that embrace with grace that leads to opportunities to share the truth. We want to meet people with a grace that leads to the opportunity to pour out Jesus and His Word in people's lives. We want to value people because God values people. He created humanity in His image. We want to follow God's example. We've looked at Luke 15. We want to follow God's example to go after and to engage lost people. I would challenge any Christ followers who have the mentality that the time in our world right now is the time for us to bunker down and hunker down and isolate ourselves from the world. We're not told to live like the world. In fact, we're told to live opposite of the world around us. We're told not to conform to the patterns or the ways of thinking in this world. But at the same time, if we're going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus, we have to engage them. And we see in Luke 15 that God has great value for those lost people. We're to embrace those who seek truth. Those who are looking for answers and they may be not not even recognizing what they're looking for. We're to embrace those who seek truth and those who come to their senses and are realizing their need for Jesus. No matter what they've done, no matter how they've lived, no matter what lifestyle they're coming out of, you could go on down the line with every sinful thing that you can think of of how people could live. And in any of those cases, God would invite a sinner to Him. And we need to embrace those who seek Him. Now, I believe when we talk about soft edges and firm sinners, that Jesus Himself, being truth, but also full of grace and truth, modeled for us being gracious and compassionate, but being firm when it comes to the truth. He modeled that idea of soft edges, firm center. Let's look at our text in John chapter 8. Now Jesus, as He often was, was surrounded by people. And what you find during Jesus' earthly ministry is that on a regular basis, if people came to Him, He took the opportunity to teach them, to teach those who would listen. Now we know in our study in Luke chapter 15 already in this series that the Pharisees and the religious leaders were already criticizing Jesus for hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. Uh, They were already looking to trap Jesus and their greatest goal was to somehow discredit Jesus so that people would not follow Him. So in this case, in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching in a large group of people And the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery to Jesus. 
and made her stand in front of the group. You can imagine how embarrassing it would be, even though she was guilty, we'll talk about it in a moment, how embarrassing it would be to be paraded out in front of everyone in God's creation. Now, adultery means that at least one participant in the physical connection was married to someone else. Adultery was condemned in the Old Testament law, or we, as we know it, the law of Moses. And the punishment for adultery, if convicted in court, Leviticus chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 22, the, the punishment could be death for both parties involved, actually being stoned to death. The man guilty of adultery with another man's wife or the wife of another man. God, from the beginning has been serious about marriage, and in this context we see that he was serious about the holiness of his people. Now there was no question mark as to the woman's guilt. The Bible tells us that she was caught in the act of adultery. There was no question mark, no room for doubt, she was guilty. Now the Jews had courts and ways to handle such situations, much like we do now. If you're driving down the road and you get a speeding ticket, you can either pay the fine or you can go before the judge, right? There's a way to handle these situations. But instead of going through the normal way of handling it, the Pharisees wanted to trap Jesus, so they made it a point to bring this woman to Jesus. They wanted to get Him to speak either against the law of Moses in the Old Testament or against the Roman government, because either way, they would get Him. Now here's a question for us. They bring the woman, where's the man? Because he's just as guilty as she is. Now, what we learn in study of this passage is that it's possible the reason the man isn't there is because he was part of a pre-arranged plan or scheme to catch this woman in adultery and ultimately bring her before Jesus to try to trap him. The man was guilty too. We know that, clearly. It takes two to tango, right? But the point being, the Pharisees weren't really interested in obeying the law. What we see is they were more interested in trying to catch Jesus in some answer in order to accuse Him of blasphemy or political opposition or to discredit His ministry. They came to Jesus and they put Him on the spot. Hey Jesus, this is what the law of Moses says, so what do you say? And they really thought in this moment they had Him. If Jesus said, stone her... The Romans would probably be upset because only they had the authority to execute someone in that day. Not to mention, here's Jesus who has been compassionate and gracious and loving to all of these different people in His ministry. And if He says, stone her, then Jesus wouldn't have been labeled as being so merciful or so loving anymore. If He said, let her go free then Jesus would be contradicting the law of Moses, the law of God in the Old Testament. So their thought was, no matter what Jesus says here, there's only two possible answers, and no matter what He says, we've got Him. We've got Him right where we want Him. So they asked Jesus, what do you say we should do? Jesus, instead of responding verbally initially, bent down and started to write on the ground with His finger. I'm amazed in this moment. I had a pause even preparing for the message today to think about the hand of God writing on the earth He created. Just what a neat moment seeing God write on His own earth. What Jesus wrote on the ground in these moments is unknown. Many people through the years have tried to speculate 
Many have offered scriptural thoughts as to what they think maybe Jesus was writing on the ground. Some have suggested that perhaps He wrote a portion of the Ten Commandments, like, you shall not covet your wife's, your neighbor's wife. Uh, maybe He wrote on the ground something to do with the man that was involved. Others have, have said that maybe perhaps He was writing different figures on the ground that represented certain things. Truth is, we don't fully know. What we do know is after writing some and not responding, the Pharisees continued to state their thought to be inescapable predicament to Jesus. And Jesus stood up and answered in a way they didn't expect. It wasn't one of their two options. Look at John chapter 8, verse 7. If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. In essence, Jesus is saying... She's guilty. The law of Moses does say stoner, but only the one who is without sin can throw the first stone. In this moment, Jesus reminded the ones who thought they were righteous that there was really only one righteous one in the group, and that was Jesus Himself. This is the same group of people, the Pharisees and religious leaders, who considered themselves better than other people. If you maybe remember our, our passage that we've referenced in the last couple of weeks where the Pharisee and the tax collector both go to God to pray and the Pharisee says something to the effect of, Lord, thank you that I'm not like the other people. I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like the thief. I'm not like this one or that one. I'm, I don't do all of those things. In fact, I'm so good, God. I fast this many times and I do this many things. I, I'm better than these other people. And Jesus in the moment flips the script on the Pharisees who wanted to try to trap Jesus and caught this woman in adultery and instead points to them and gives them a chance to evaluate their own hearts and remind themselves that they're not righteous in their own life either. This is why I've always perhaps loved the explanation that when Jesus bent down to write in the sand, perhaps He wrote the sins of the Pharisees themselves. Reminding them that they too weren't perfect. They too weren't righteous in themselves. They too needed grace. I mean, even in this very moment, it was deception. They had intentionally, likely attention, intentionally schemed all of this up, caught the woman in adultery. The man is missing. They bring her to Jesus all to try to trap Him. They weren't pure in their motives even in this moment. As Jesus posed the statement, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He goes back and he began to write in the sand again. And the Bible says the group began to disperse. Jesus gave them opportunity to search themselves. And when they did, they began to leave. There had to be at least some recognition that they weren't without sin. And in that culture, the older ones were known to lead the younger ones because the older ones had lived more life, had more experience, and were thought to have more wisdom. So as the older ones began to recognize and begin to move, the younger ones followed suit. How appropriate, because I think we can all agree today, the older we've become and the longer we've walked with Jesus, the more we've realized just how sinful we can be and how gracious God is. The older I get and the more I walk with Jesus, it's not the more that I think I've got it all figured out. 
It's the more that I realize I don't have any of it figured out. That I'm on a journey with Jesus and He's been gracious enough to let me follow Him. As they disperse and the dust settled, Jesus was the only one left standing with the woman. Now mind you, the intent of the Pharisees was to trap Jesus. The, the leading part of this story, if you will, was an interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees yet again. But they could never outsmart Jesus. What's really interesting to note in this passage is that let's just, in theory, say that they begin to recognize they weren't without sin. Clearly, they dispersed and no one threw a stone, right? So no one threw... No, no one thought that they, they themselves were perfect. No one thought that they themselves were without sin. They responded in that regard. But one of the things that we don't see in this passage is that this group dispersed, but they never seemed to follow Jesus with a repentant heart. There's recognition, but there's no repentance. There's recognition. It's, I mean, if Jesus is saying those things to you and maybe even writing your personal sin in the, in the sand, there's some recognition going on. You're recognizing, yeah, I'm not perfect either. I've got sin in my life too. I, I've been a sinner. It's only by the grace of God. And yet, that recognition didn't lead them to repentance. They didn't turn away and turn to Jesus. In fact, they would continue to go on to try to trap Jesus and they would continue eventually to plot to kill him. But I love that Jesus turned his attention to the woman caught in adultery. It wasn't just enough that in that moment Jesus had responded rightly to the Pharisees. Now Jesus knew that there was a soul standing before him, and that soul mattered to him. And it was important to Jesus that she not walk away the same, so he seized the opportunity to interact with her. John chapter 8, verse 10, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Go now and leave your life of sin. Now, it would be hard in some ways to try to put myself in the shoes of a woman called in adultery. It would be hard to, to empathize to a point of sharing the exact emotions, but I think we can all agree, if you listen closely and you're paying attention to this interaction, you can feel and you can hear and you can sense the relief in this woman's heart and life as Jesus is speaking these words to her. Jesus displayed this soft edge with a firm center. He met the guilty woman with grace, he shared the truth of go and sin no more and gave her the opportunity to respond to new life. Now, we don't have the actual evidence that she turned away from her life, but we definitely have this story and we have also the narrative where Jesus meets a woman at a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman at a well, and there too, there seems to be a response to the reality of Jesus calling them to a higher life. Some people have tried to use John chapter 8 through the years as a passage as a justification for sin. Well, Jesus met the woman called in adultery with, with grace. And so God's gracious. God forgives. Uh, God, God is so gracious that you can live however you want to. And it doesn't matter. God forgives. Now, it's true 
That when Jesus came into the world the first time, He came as Savior of the world. John 3.17, just after that really known verse, John 3.16 says, God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. God the Father sent Jesus to offer grace and an opportunity for people to hear the truth and to receive the truth and to then live by the truth. It does not mean that God is passive when it comes to sin. When He said to the woman, Go now and leave your life of sin, if you dig into the literal translation, it's more like this. You are sinning. Stop your practice of sin. Jesus viewed adultery as sin, but then He still dealt gently with the sinner. That's the part that I think we often get wrong. I've said, even at the beginning of this series, it seems to me that people sometimes err on one extreme or the other, right? They're they're all about the truth, which is good, but the way they come off in what they feel is passion actually comes off as hatred towards the individual. And then there's the other end of the spectrum of grace, where we believe in God to be gracious and compassionate, but to a point where it doesn't matter how we live, that following Jesus is no different from not following Jesus. Jesus viewed adultery as sin, that's true, but He dealt gently with the sinner in grace. Jesus did not consider... The the woman wasn't innocent. She was guilty. Possibly even more than just this one occasion. But Jesus did not consider the woman unworthy of forgiveness. Instead, Jesus treated her with kindness that led to the opportunity for truth and an opportunity for the woman to repent and to live a new life. One writer said it this way, Jesus does not look upon sin lightly, yet He who bore the sin of the world by His suffering forgives most graciously. He doesn't look on sin lightly, but He forgives most graciously when we respond. We're continuing to unpack this conversation, and and to this point in the series, we've talked a lot about the soft edges, the grace, the compassion, the love, the interactions with people that can lead to opportunities for truth. And now we're, we're beginning in some ways to shift towards this conversation of how do we interact with grace, and it leads to an opportunity for truth, and how do we communicate that truth and live in truth and cling to the truth without compromise while still living with gracious attitudes towards people? And some of you are dealing with that in your own families, in your, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods. You're, you're dealing with, I can be loving and kind, but, but there are things in their lives that, not because I define them that way, but because of God's Word defining them that way, they're living contrary to what God has in mind. And, and following Jesus, it, it's looking no different in some lives than it is not following Jesus. For the moment, let's talk about what we should take away from John chapter 8. First, like Jesus We've said this before, we want to embrace with grace that leads to truth. We want to deal gently 
with the same love and compassion of our God. How loving is our God? How compassionate is our God? How kind is our God? Well, in Romans chapter 2, verse number 4, the Apostle Paul wrote and said that God's kindness is intended to be so good that it leads people to repentance. The idea is God has done everything He can do to provide salvation for us. God loves us so much that He gave His only Son that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. God has provided the means, the answer for our sin problem. If we will believe and accept that work, God has made a way for us to be saved and to live for eternity. And eternity is forever. We can't even begin to grasp how long eternity is. Because it has no end. All the things that are a product of the curse of sin in our world, the, the fact that our bodies outwardly are decaying the older we get. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more aches and pains. I don't even know what I did to cause them. I picked up my child and my lower back's bothering me. I just picked her up. I mean, seriously. It'd be one thing if I was out swinging a golf club. That's got some torque to it. But I mean, I've been over and I'm hurting, right? These hour bodies are decaying and we have to deal with the sorrow that comes with losing our loved ones in this life and in death. and we, it, It's terrible. But God has given us the answer in Jesus to redeem all of it and to give us life forever with none of those issues. So God's done everything He can do. He's constantly speaking. He's constantly trying to get people's attention. He's, even the Bible says He's patient with people, desiring that none should perish, but that all would come to repentance. I happen to believe that the only reason the rapture of the church hasn't happened in our world yet is because God is being patient, giving people an opportunity to hear the gospel and to receive it and to live by it. Say, so, well, Pastor Chris, can you support that with Scripture? I can. The gospel will go to the ends of the earth and then the end will come. That's what Scripture says. God is being patient. So what Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4 is, God's kindness is intended to lead people to repentance. In all that He's done, God is just wanting everyone to respond to that love, to respond to that compassion, to be free. And we want the same thing in our lives, that our kindness and our compassion and how we represent Christ, our grace will lead people to want Jesus and to want to turn from their lives of sin. That people can look at our lives and say, there's something different about how you live. Even in the middle of chaos and even in the middle of storms and even in the middle of all that's going on in our world, you seem to have joy and you seem to have peace. What is it? How do you live that way? And it's our prayer that as we interact with people on that level, they will see Christ in us and they will see Jesus in us and they will long for more. That we wouldn't be people who quickly call down judgment on others. I get it. We can all see the issues in our world. But rather than saying you're destined to an eternal punishment, we can believe that the same God who changed our lives and has been changing lives for centuries can still change the life of any person who will call on Him. Amen. That we will not write them off to judgment, but we will believe the salvific work of God is sufficient. 
that we want to embrace people in such a way that leads them to repentance so they might know salvation and eternal life and not eternal judgment. I'm so grateful for the example of Christ in John 8 that this woman, when everybody had already walked away, that Jesus didn't just let her walk away. He gave her the opportunity to have a different life. Secondly, like Jesus, we want to seize the opportunities to speak the truth. And that's what Jesus did in John 8. The Pharisees had brought this woman to try to trap Jesus. It was all about this tension and this fight, if you will, between Jesus and the Pharisees, which of course really wasn't any fight at all because Jesus would never be outsmarted. But when the Pharisees' part of this encounter was over, and they've all scattered because they're recognizing what Jesus is saying, Jesus then interacts with this woman who was caught in sin, but showed grace to her and gave her an opportunity to be forgiven and have a different life. We, as Christ followers, should be prepared to take opportunities as they present themselves. Well, Pastor Chris, when, when is there an opportunity in my life? Well, have you ever been around a person and they were in a crisis moment or a crisis situation and they were wondering what to do next? That's a moment when we can seize the opportunity and look to speak the truth of God into their lives. When people are in your life and they're looking for truth, they're looking for answers, they're looking to dig deeper to figure out what is this life really all about and what's my purpose and is there life after this one. When they're asking all of the big idea questions, when people are searching for truth, that's a moment we should be prepared to give an answer. When people are coming to their senses and they're realizing their sin, they're realizing their life's a mess and they can't fix it themselves, they're realizing that they are in bondage. They're, they're, they're in prison, if you will. They are struggling in their lives and they can't seem to break free and they need to be set free. When people are coming to that place and they're recognizing that, that they need something bigger, someone bigger than themselves, what is the truth of God that they need to hear in that moment? When people have questions about how to live life, what truth of God do they need to hear? And I would suggest to you today that all of these types of opportunities can be present in any circle of your life. So, if your family's together, there may be a moment where you're able to share truth with them. If you're with your coworkers over lunch or at work and there's just a conversation going on and maybe the conversation's all about something that's happening in the world, it's in that moment we can seize the opportunity and share the truth of God with them. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to have a microphone. You don't have to use a picket sign. You can just be loving and gracious and compassionate to the people around you. And God, if you're praying, God, give me opportunities, I promise you it's a big, bold, daring prayer, prayer to pray because God's going to give you opportunities every time you pray. And if you pray today, God, give me some opportunities to be able to share truth. I want to do that. I want to help influence people towards you. Get ready because tomorrow, maybe even when you least expect it, God's going to open the door. When opportunities present themselves, we want to be ready to share. For us to be ready to share in these moments of opportunity, it takes a couple of things. First of all, it means we've got to be attentive to the people around us. That's what I really love about Jesus and His earthly ministry so much. How often 
Was Jesus attentive to the people around him? Even in moments when it could have been viewed as a personal inconvenience. I mean, Jesus had moments where he was tired because he had taken on human flesh. There are spots in Scripture where he was taking a nap in the middle of a storm. Jesus had moments where he'd been ministering to thousands upon thousands of people. For sure, the disciples were tired. They would have loved to have had some private time more often. There were moments where Jesus was going to one house to heal someone and someone else came along needed healing in the middle of the process. Jesus was always attentive to the people around Him. And I would say to you today, I would say to me today, all of us, this world is pushing us to be self-focused and self-centered and self-serving. But if we're going to be like Christ, it means laying ourselves down and being more like Him and being more aware and considerate of the people around us. We'll never see the opportunities if we're so focused on what we're doing in life. I get it. There are times we're busy. There are times we've got to get things done. There are moments where it's just a lot to take in in life. A lot of things have to be accomplished. But if we always live, always maxed out, there'll never be any margin to help anybody else. We've got to be attentive to the people around us. And I would go secondly to say, if we're going to take advantage of these opportunities God is giving us, we've got to be continually full of the overflowing power of the Holy Spirit. Because in those moments, the Holy Spirit will not only prompt us to help get our attention, but in those moments, the Holy Spirit will help us to know what words to speak to someone. And and I get it. Maybe they don't respond exactly how we'd want them to every time we talk to them. But in that moment, the Holy Spirit knows what type of soil that seed is going into. And the Holy Spirit knows what words need to be spoken to help get their attention, to help plant that seed, to help put that rock in their shoe. We need to be full of the Holy Spirit so that we can be led and prompted and gifted the words to speak to those who are around us. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So it's two-part. Always be prepared to give an answer. When people are looking to you and they're saying, what's different? Why are you so joyous? Why are you so peaceful? What's different about your life? How do you make it through all of these things? You need to be prepared to share Jesus. Could you answer today if someone said, why do you have hope? Why do you have confident expectation in this life? Why do you have confident expectation in the future? Why do you have confidence in eternity? Can you answer that? But then the second part of it, Peter said, do it with gentleness and respect. Soft edges, firm center. Are we prepared to give that answer, to seize those opportunities? Now next week, we're going to begin to move into a little bit of this truth conversation. We've talked quite a bit about the soft edges, and now we want to talk too about the firm center. How do we live without compromise while still being gracious and kind? How do we cling to the truth? Next week, we'll talk about how following Jesus, and in the coming weeks, we'll talk about how following Jesus is a different way of life. When we get saved, we're doing more than just saying, God, forgive me of my sins. I mean, we all like the idea of the fire insurance policy, right? I mean, seriously, nobody at the thought and sound of any place like hell, which is really worse than most people give it credit for, nobody wants the thought of going to that place for eternity. But more than just a fire insurance policy, 
when we come to Jesus and confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior, admitting we're, admitting we're sinners and believing in Christ and His finished work, we're not just calling Him Savior, we're also saying He's the Lord of our lives. In Romans chapter 10, very familiar verses of Scripture, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we're not just saying, Lord, you're forgiving me of my sins, but we're also handing over the reins of our lives, handing over the control of our lives to say, Lord, you are now the leader of my life. And I will follow you. It's not about following my ways or you meeting my expectations. It's about me following you. Truth. So how do we navigate that when, when maybe even there are people who claim to be Christ followers, but yet seem to have disagreement with the truth of God's Word. How do we navigate all of that? What is truth? How do we know truth? For today, I want us to pray in a couple of different ways. I'm going to ask you if you'll bow your heads, close your eyes if you're in the room today. If you've been here long enough, then you know that I don't ask you to do that just for religious exercise. I just want you to be able to pay attention to what God would say to you in this moment. Nothing else matters right now. If you're online, I, I trust that wherever you are, you'll pause for a moment and take some time to respond as well. If you're in the room today, leaders, and, and you are part of our prayer team or part of our leadership that's here, would you begin to just make yourself available on either side of the auditorium today? Because in a few moments, I'm going to give opportunity for people to pray. As these who will partner with you in prayer are making their way in the auditorium today, I, I'm going to invite you in a moment if you have needs that you'd like to pray for and agree with someone. You can do that. But first, I want to share grace and truth with you today. That whether you're in the auditorium or whether you're online, you can know what it means to experience the grace and truth of Jesus. Here's the truth. Sin has affected every member of humanity. When Adam, the representative of humanity, decided to rebel against God and not do what God told him or to do what God told him not to do, sin entered. And it's not just the individual sins. It's an inclination or a lean towards sin. Towards doing things our own way. Towards rebellion against God. Who is God to tell me? Who, who is anyone to tell me what's right and what's wrong? I can do life my way. You see it very young, even in children, as they fight for their toys and don't want to share. You see, see that nature of being more about self. Pride. Sin came into humanity and into the lifeblood of humanity, and every human being ever born has been born under this curse of sin. Unfortunately, the day that we're born, we're already beginning to die. Our bodies don't last forever in this life. We face sickness and struggle, all a product of the sin that entered the world. That's not the way God had created and intended it for it to be. So today we're, we've got this sin problem. And this sin problem, if we're living disobedient to God, separates us from God. We can't say, I love you, Lord, and then live totally contradicting to what He tells us. So then there comes the beautiful grace. And that is that God saw us as His creation, fashioned in His image. And He wanted relationship with us to be restored, not broken. So He sent His only Son, Jesus, 
And Jesus, who was innocent, was laid on Him all of the guilt from us. And He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. So now we can be in Christ and know relationship with God. We can be forgiven. We can be free. We can know a new way of life. So if you're in this room or you're online today and and you know you've never made a decision in your life to follow Jesus, today is the day to make that decision. Today is the day to say, Lord, I see your kindness. I see your love. I see your compassion. I see all you've done to reach to me. You've reached down from heaven. And now, Lord, I'm reaching up to you. I want to take hold of the life you have for me. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to walk into eternity with you. So in a moment, I'm going to pray over this congregation. And I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you want to respond to follow Jesus, you can come and you can pray with these today. They'll agree with you. They'll lead you through that time of prayer. And you can walk out of this place or you can leave this moment today saying, I've made a decision to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask today, if you're in the room, would you stand? And I'm going to ask online to pray with us as well. I'm going to pray over you. And in a moment, I'm going to dismiss us. And my challenge to you will be that if you want to respond to follow Jesus, do so today. Come and talk. Come and pray with one of these partners who will do so with you. If you have a need that maybe we haven't mentioned today, but you really would love someone to pray with you about it, today come and let someone pray with you about it. God can do some incredible things when we open our lives and let Him do that work. Father, I pray today, as we go from this place, that we will remember the words that You have spoken to us. Lord, that we will be a people with that soft edge and that firm center. Be a gracious and compassionate people as we interact with others. And Lord, at the same time, not compromising on truth. God, I pray you'd help us to continue to learn, especially in these next few weeks, Lord, to continue to learn what it is you're saying to us on how to live full of grace and truth. I pray, O Lord, that we will, even throughout this week, seize opportunities that are in front of us. We'll be attentive to people and full of the Holy Spirit. And we'll seize the opportunities, God, to interact and to share truth with people. Give us the words to speak. Sometimes, Lord, a lot of times, we feel limited and inadequate. But we know you, Holy Spirit, can empower us and use us. We pray for those open doors of opportunity. We ask you to give us the confidence, the boldness, the courage, and the words to walk through it. I pray now, Lord, that you would bless and keep this people. And you would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. I pray your countenance ever be turned in their direction and grant them your peace. May we go and make a difference for you. In Jesus' name.